Are you ready to learn about great sleep? I'm more than ready. Wow, you have a lot of energy today. It's because I've been sleeping so well. The sleep experts at Mattress Firm match us with the right mattress. And the perfect pillows. They knew everything about sleep and which mattress and bedding accessories would help with hot sleep and back pain. You sound like a changed person. I am. Plus, we have 120 nights to make sure we love it. And all we have to do was visit our local Mattress Firm store and their sleep experts help with the rest. Adam, do you remember when we brought our now five-year-old home from the hospital? No. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. Isn't it weird how you just, you don't, it's hard to remember these times. I'm convinced you don't remember them because there is no sleeping. This, This is true. Do you remember us struggling to get Albie to sleep? Can you remember any of those nights? That's the first time in your life that you're sort of voluntarily getting out of bed five, six, seven times a night and then performing tasks you've never performed in your life. You know what I mean? It's like you're just wrapping your head around changing diapers and now you're doing it half asleep in the middle of the night in the dark with a baby putting, I would say, a little bit of pressure on you by screaming his head off. I'm convinced that this is the key. Sleep and parenthood and sleep and family is the key to, like, happiness. And especially if you're co-parenting, you need to be on the same page. Quality of sleep and sleep for all four of our family unit was such a priority. And I think this episode is going to be such a gift to parents and families who are listening. Not only will we spend some time talking about parenting and your kids' sleep, But we also are going to discuss the parents' sleep, because that's super important, too. Absolutely. Hey, it's Katie Lowe's. And I'm Adam Shapiro. And this is Chasing Sleep, a production of Ruby Studios from iHeartMedia in partnership with Mattress Firm. This is nature's original alarm clock. Probably can't find this as an option on your phone's alarm settings, but it is certainly effective. There may not be a bigger disruption in one's sleep than a newborn baby. Not only that, but how can parents prioritize and sleep train themselves to get a good night's rest at any stage of their child's life? Yes. Today, we are talking to two great experts. Meg, who is the creator of Infinite Connection, formerly known as Miss Megan's Method, is a pediatric sleep consultant who has helped a number of families sleep train their children. And she's here with her adorable four-month-old. Could this baby be cuter? She's so cute. So if you hear a baby crying... And I'm so impressed that you're doing this with a baby on your lap. Also joining us is Dr. Jade Wu, a board-certified behavioral sleep psychologist and researcher. She's passionate about helping new parents overcome sleep challenges during pregnancy and postpartum periods. Later this year, Dr. Wu is also launching Goodnight Mama, a resource and community dedicated to helping pregnant and new moms sleep better and thrive during parenthood. Wow. Thank you for joining us. We need to just give applause all around for the work both of you are doing. (laughs) Dr. Wu, you study sleep and you're already a parent of two very young kids. What has your experience been like with sleep since becoming a parent yourself? Well, so I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. I think one learning that I threw out the window was this idea of perfection, Mm. of if I just go by the science and if I go by what should happen and I try to perfect it as, as much as possible, then things will be fine. But there's actually no perfect 
when it comes to parenting, when it comes to sleep. And even very good is rare and always changing, right? So your definition for what's very good is different from one day to another, one week to another, because babies are rapidly changing. Their sleep needs are rapidly changing. Your own sleep needs are rapidly changing. Your own hormones are changing postpartum. So there are just so many things that are in the mix that it's almost impossible to find the perfect algorithm. Oh, I remember this feeling of like, (laughs) Adam, do you remember this? My kid would skip a nap and I would feel like a failure. And to look at the bigger picture to say, it's okay. And also, I think when we impose a schedule like that, we're actually doing the opposite of what's helpful. And really, I think it's more about rhythms, not schedules. So instead of calculating like, oh, she woke up at 3.32 p.m., therefore her bedtime has to be 7.42 p.m., like down to the minute, that just doesn't make sense. Then we're really just imposing arbitrary rules. If we go by rhythms of like, okay, we have sleepiness and then we have wakefulness and we have sleepiness again, let's follow the baby's cues. Let's generally have this ebb and flow of the tide. Oh, that's good to know. Because if you're teaching the child to do the same thing at the same time, in the same order every day, how are they going to be resilient and flexible and adaptable? Sure. And exactly. Thank you, Meg, from me, a mommy and all of us out there. So you've met a lot of sleepy moms and dads through the years. How would you describe your method? I would say that my method like really is just a holistic approach of helping the child learn to trust in and of themselves in relation to sleep, in relation to their sleep space, and then trust the caregivers that they're interacting with. When we had our babies, our first priority was sleep. Smart, you know, sleep is ultimately all about self-regulation. I feel like I'm a Google Translate to baby speak, so to to speak. (laughs) And I I teach parents kind of this ladder concept that actually helps the child through co-regulation to learn how to self-regulate. One of our biggest struggles as new parents was figuring out what to do when the baby is crying. How do each of you approach this? I mean, I don't use any cry it out tactics, but I don't want to avoid, suppress, or pacify the child's emotions either. I teach a parent what a down cry sounds like because if the child is having a down cry or is beginning to de-escalate, like they are going the right direction on their own. Mm. Right. So communication is kind of just broad strokes at the beginning of life, right? There's just basically a couple of different types of cries that a baby can do to communicate their needs. So I think sometimes in our worst moments, we can feel like, oh, the baby is crying again, getting like, this is so frustrating. But, you know, that this is the only way that the baby has to communicate with us. So it's our job to figure out why or at least to go with the flow and try our best to meet the baby where she's at and also offer the boundaries that uh, make for healthy sleep and healthy, you know, everything else. Right. I remember when Adam and I were dealing with our first and trying to get him to sleep and he was so much better at listening to crying and and just like having a sort of calm response to it where I like jumped to DEFCON 4 so quickly. Do you (laughs) find that sometimes moms have a much harder time dealing with crying than someone who might be a little bit more emotionally? What how do we how do we want to say it, Adam? Stunted, detached. Uh, frozen inside? (laughs) You know, I think 
there is something about moms that are just, we're just hypervigilant. Cries sound so aversive to us because we we are programmed to respond right away. So that makes sense because evolutionarily speaking, if a baby was left alone, it was either going to freeze to death or get eaten by a tiger, right? Back Way back in the day. Yes. Yeah. So, so you know, babies cry to call for that that sense of safety. They're very much anchored to their parent. And it's about being able to like honor the child's communications and listen underneath what they're telling you to, to, you know, address whatever those behaviors are, but also meet those needs. I think moms feel a lot of guilt too. Some moms finally move the baby out and they feel so bad that they finally got a, a better connected few hours because they're not waking up from every fart and burp and rolling sound and gurgle. And it's like, you know, <laughs> I totally hear you about that guilt. And I've personally felt that too, even though I know like the science and the, you know, of of how it works. I think that's a little bit of mom guilt is maybe unavoidable, but the reassurance I can offer is this, you know, when you as a mom, when you are sleeping better, you are able to be a better mom during the day. Yeah. I've, totally feel that way personally. I notice in my day-to-day life on nights where I get a better sleep, I'm a better mom. Yeah. So, okay, we have collected this list of things that parents will use to help their children sleep, and we want to run them by you for your opinion. Okay, here we go. First one, Meg, putting on lullabies or soft music to calm a baby. I think that it can be helpful to use a lullaby or music for a child because from a neurological standpoint, they're connecting to sleep from awake with it, but it shouldn't be something that they need all the time forever. What about you, Dr. Wu? I use music to cue the beginning of the bedtime routine, but not for the baby to fall asleep. Great. Because whatever the baby needs at bedtime to fall asleep is what they need to get back to sleep when they wake up during the night. So you don't want to be playing that song all night long. So you can use it to cue the beginning of the wind down. But Oh, wait, wait. What about the fact that you want your kid to know that you have a good voice? Do I do the whole second act of a musical or do I just... (laughs) It's very important to me that they know that, you know... You can. (laughs) Feel free. What about white noise? We all in my household have an addiction to this. Is that bad or good? I think it's fine to use it throughout the night. It's studies have shown it to be safe and effective. And Meg, what do you think? I mean, I think as long as it's below like 50 decibels and so it's not and it's not too close to the child, then I think it's really a personal preference. But if you got trash trucks all, all morning. Some of the deepest sleepers are in New York City and they do not use white noise. And some of the families use white noise to kind of make a wall of sound and drown out these startling outside noises. So I think it really is a personal preference and it depends on the situation. I like that. All right. What about melatonin? Uh, never use melatonin without a doctor's guidance. Good to know. It is not a sleep aid and it is not a just a benign like vitamin gummy that your kid can take. It's a hormone and taking it at the wrong time at the wrong dose can backfire and it can also have other effects that we may not be aware of for such a young person. I completely agree with Jade. Parents are giving melatonin to children as young as 18 months old. They don't understand that it's dangerous. I had no idea. I guess people feel such accessibility to it because it's just over the counter. Like it has cute cartoons on it and it's over the counter. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm thinking. Right. That's actually a 
problem that it's over the counter. When it's over the counter, it's not F- FDA regulated. And a study found that the dosage has been as high as five times higher than what's advertised on the label. So if you think you're giving a one milligram, you don't want to overdose your kid on melatonin. Yeah, we're going to get into this uh, on an upcoming episode about sleep and supplements. But I got to tell you, this is shocking. There's more chasing sleep in a moment. This is all just so fascinating. I feel like I'm on my way to becoming an expert in sleep. You're going to need to know a lot more for that. The sleep experts at Mattress Firm have over 200 hours of training. What? I didn't know that. No wonder it was so easy for them to help us find the perfect mattress and bedding accessories. And so quick. That too. I've never been matched like this before. It's perfect. They knew everything about sleep and which mattress and bedding accessories would help with hot sleep and back pain. Now we get to try our new mattress out for 120 nights to make sure we love it. I could spoon you. You could spoon me. Our five-year-old could sleep in the bed. Our two-year-old could sleep in the bed. We could try out lots of different ways just to make sure that we love it. And Mattress Firm carries high-quality mattresses for every Every price point. Oh, I have already been getting the best rest, honey. And if we have any questions, we can visit our local Mattress Firm store or find 24-7 help online at mattressfirm.com. And their sleep experts will help with the rest. Welcome back to Chasing Sleep, where Katie and Adam, a couple of parents, are learning all about sleep and parenting from sleep scientists Dr. Jade Wu and Meg from Infinite Connection. What age... Should kids be sleeping in their own room and in their own beds? I Right away. <laughs> uh, this is a biggie. I mean, look, being that you are a doctor, is there a recommended age? So there's a couple of answers to this. I'll start with the official answer from the American Academy of Pediatrics. And they recommend sleeping in the same room for six months. And then you can transition your baby to a separate room after that. But in reality... There's a huge range in cultural preferences, in family ability to have separate space and siblings and all sorts of different variations. So it's really not set in stone like that. What I tell my patients is think about the whole family system. It's not just about what's technically recommended for the baby. It's will you be able to sleep if the baby is in the room with you? Will your partner be able to sleep? Will your other kids be able to sleep? So there are actually creative solutions we can do for the whole family system. Interesting. That idea about the whole family system. I wanted to ask about the parents specifically because Katie and I know firsthand how important it is for parents to get the sleep that they need. So when we were doing our homework for this episode, we dug into Mattress Firm's newly published Sleep Uncovered report about the effect of parenting on sleep. And they surveyed more than 1,400 parents and non-parents and found that there's a big difference between the two groups. Parents have to cram in a lot of tasks before bed, right, Katie? So many tasks. I mean, before bed, there's bath and bedtime and books and brushing teeth, Brush teeth. and the different nighttime diaper and other, turn on the sound machine other, and then make sure you the pack kitchen, their lunches dessert. for the next day. And- exactly. A lot of tasks. Now, by the time we get the kids down, That time before we head to bed ourselves is the only chance we get to do all the stuff that we weren't able to do during the day. And that's paying bills. It's putting ourselves on tape for three auditions. It's returning emails. It's exercising. Only Adam exercises at night. I do not do that. I I like a nighttime exercise. Wow. I'm impressed. Building on what Adam said, the parenting report found that parents also carry a lot more 
of that mental burden, especially before bed. It's like they're significantly more likely to go to bed feeling stressed or angry or upset or nervous, which, man, I can really relate to big time. So I wanted to know, what are your thoughts? Like, do parents sabotage their sleep with these habits? Sadly, not surprised to hear any of these findings. I think there's a couple of things going on here. One is, you're right, Adam, that parents simply have more stuff they got to get done. Or there's something called, have you heard of revenge bedtime procrastination? No. <laughs> it's, it's this concept that originated in China um, where people are notoriously stressed out with work and overworked. Um, but the idea is, you don't get enough me time during the day to actually fulfill your emotional and creative and spiritual needs. So you end up not going to bed so you can like almost like resentfully use that time to finally catch up on shows. Yeah. This is what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Katie, you're like, I don't want to go to bed right now because I didn't even have time to do something I like to do. I'm so angry that sometimes just to like not go to sleep, I'll just be like, hence the revenge, doing all my stuff, you know, to really show how much I still have my life and my things that are just mine. But then, of course, inevitably, I just end up looking at pictures of my children from five years ago. (laughs) (laughs) I know I do that too. Yeah. So it's really tough for parents because we're always juggling this emotional roller coaster of like, I love my kids. They're a total pain in the butt. Yes. You know, so we're, we're holding so many emotions, holding so many responsibilities and holding so many tasks. It's like, do you ever feel like your brain has like 40 tabs open, like like a browser tab, you know, just because there are so many tasks that you have to keep track of and so many schedules to coordinate. And like, it's like running a small startup company, right? Yeah. I find a, most of the parents, their head hits the pillow and their their minds are spinning with anxiety about parenting and you know, how to fit it all in their day and how to manage their time. And so, you know, that's, that's definitely one side of it. But, but I would say more often than not, when the parents start sleeping, they come back to me like, uh, we're pregnant again. (laughs) So So when you have all of that going on, your brain is, is busy. Your brain is holding all this stuff. It's not putting that, that stuff down. So it's much harder to get good quality sleep. Can we just talk about older kids and how sleeping changes with older kids? You talk a little bit about that, Dr. Ruba, like, you know, kid, kids seven to 10. That's what we're about to run into, Katie. Yeah, sure. So first of all, sleep does change very rapidly throughout childhood. So the amount of sleep that a child needs tends to decrease, but also the timing too. So you've probably heard of chronotype, that's your biologically hardwired preference for sleeping at a certain time. Teenagers are night owls. Younger kids are morning people. So somewhere in the early adolescence puberty kind of window, the chronotype of a child will shift later. So that's something we do need to remember because teenagers are going to school way too early. It's backwards. The young kids are going to school later and the teenagers are going to school really early. It should be the other way around. Biologically, teenagers are not able to get enough sleep and get up at 6 a.m. to go to school. That's just literally not possible. So we have to start high schools later. But younger kids can get up earlier and go to school earlier, so they're fine. So that's one of the biggest public health things we can and should do like immediately. What the California's already adopted this and other places around the uh, the country, too. I had no idea. Also, is it cool that my husband is still on the whatever the teenager 
system is. <laughs> yes, that's totally normal. Thank you, Dr. Wu. <laughs> Think of it this, this way. Evolutionarily speaking, you know, if everybody in the tribe fell asleep at the same time and woke up at the same time, then everybody is a snack. Right. Some of us have to stay up a little later, Katie, protect the family from the bears. Exactly. And be the night watchman. Oh, that's what you're doing? You're protecting us? <laughs> <laughs> You know, evolutionarily speaking, you're welcome from us night owls to morning people. And that's actually one major thing I work with parents on is often night owl parents suddenly find themselves needing to fake being a morning person, right? Because their baby wakes up early or their child wakes up early. So there are ways that you can actually kind of shift your chronotype, maybe not permanently, but at least do it in a way where you can function and not feel so bad. Dr. Wu, from your perspective, what piece of advice is usually the hardest to fit into parents' lives? So I always say to people, when your baby, who's no longer a newborn, but like an older baby, when they cry for you during their sleep time, walk, don't run. Because when you run to respond to them, you may actually be interrupting a natural process where they're figuring out how to self-soothe. We can show them, we can co-work with them, co-regulate with them, but then they also need some opportunities to try on their own. So sometimes just by making this simple but really difficult change of walking instead of running to respond to them, parents are pleasantly surprised. They're like, oh my gosh, I did the walk, not run thing. And turns out they just like fell back to sleep after a few cries. And also it calms you down. <laughs> like just having you in my head, like just if I could hear Dr. Wu being like, Katie, walk don't run. It would like change my energy, which I think is also very helpful. And Meg, how about you? What else do you suggest to help keep parents calm? Actually, I was going to talk about habit stacking. <laughs> you know, weave in new healthy habits that you can, you know, make a choice to spend a little more time in nature, you know, go take a hike, have some gratitude practices. And I would just say that most of the time, parents just need, you know, a hot shower, hot bath, some Epsom salts and essential oils, some time to decompress, some self-care. Oh, yeah. Now you're, now she's talking your language, Katie. By the way, this is why my nighttime, I do it. I'm a nighttime shower person. Yeah. And it's where I, I shower every night, but mostly because I have my smells, my scents, but it's. I think it's where I decompress my thoughts. Yeah before I get into my bed. And you can also just rinse away all the energy from the day and have that cleansing and go into bed like fresh and clean and, you know, make sure that you're changing your sheets. Definitely you want to have like clean bedding, fresh bedding. The self-care really is like these, these habit stackings of things to self-care that make your sleep a priority throughout your child's life? Yeah, it's really about slowing down. I find even with the children that I'm working with, I come into these family dynamics and the parents are rushing them around to classes and activities and playing and, you know, their routines and their mealtimes. And they're doing all these things for the child. Dory, Maria Montessori says this really well, like don't do anything for the child that the child is capable to do for themselves. So you're creating a way of life, a rhythm to connect with the child and get done what you need to get done and carve out time for self-care. 
And that really models to the child a healthy way of existing as well. I feel like I just got some self-care by just listening to that. (laughs) Absolutely. This has been a great conversation. Dr. Wu, before we go, let's get some practical advice. What is one piece of advice you would give to weary parents to help them get better sleep tonight? How about we do something during the day? So this is actually a two-parter. The first part is you set aside 15 minutes to do nothing but worry. Sure. Yes, to worry on purpose. So all the stuff that's like nagging at you and your mind, all the stuff that you still haven't gotten done yet, all the annoying day-to-day things, do that in a concentrated 15 minutes, like a sprint. Get it out of your system. Write down the things you can't forget. And then like write down the things that are actually not within your control. So you acknowledge, oh, I can't actually control this. So let me just worry about it now during this window, but then forget about it later. I call that a mental litter box. It's like you're teaching your mind kitten to pee in this one box instead of all over the house, right? So you do that. Teaching your mind kitten, Katie. (laughs) I love that. This is huge for me because I have a lot of those, you know, Sunday scaries or like nighttime anxiety. Like for some reason, when everything gets quiet and dark is where my brain goes into hyperdrive. And I think you're right. I think it's because I don't allow myself to do it at all during the day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if I had a quiet 15 minutes where I could just throw it all up or put it in my litter box. Exactly. Then maybe it would be out. Yeah. And the other half of this that's really important is you want to be mindful outside of that window of time. So mindfulness just means being in the here and now. So just enjoy playing with your kid or enjoy eating, enjoy walking, whatever it is you're actually doing in the moment, do that fully. And that actually helps you sleep better at night. Right. Dr. Wu, what are the positive outcomes we can hope for when our kids have healthy sleep habits? Well, two answers for you. One short term is that whenever a baby gets better sleep and gets enough sleep, they are happier, they are healthier, they are learning things. And the long term, I think we are really gifting our children with the gift of setting up a good relationship with sleep right from the get-go. I work with so many patients who are in their 20s or 30s or all throughout the adult lifespan who say, you know, I was never a good sleeper as a kid. There was just like chaos. I, I never had a regular bedtime or my mom always complained about me not being a good sleeper. And now they're dealing with insomnia. They're dealing with, you know, all sorts of sleep problems. And I'm just thinking, wow, I wish I could turn back time and help you be a good sleeper as a baby from the get-go. Because this relationship, healthy relationship with sleep is really a gift of a lifetime. That's it. That is, that's it. That's the whole kitten caboodle mic drop. I am so grateful for learning that and being able to take it with me that sleep really is a gift of a lifetime. It's profound and important. And I'm just sitting here with endless amounts of thanks to both Meg from Infinite Connection and Dr. Jade Wu for their insights on chasing sleep. Katie, is this why we don't do double dates with non-parents anymore? I mean, we learned a lot about ourselves today. Sure. Huge thing I wish I had known 
mommy needs to go put away the melatonin that I definitely have in our kids. Yeah, Katie, gotta get get rid of that melatonin. We don't know. That's that over the counter stuff, and it might might not even be the right dosage. I mean, look, let it be clear. I do not give our children melatonin every night, but definitely when we travel and we're getting on a different sleep schedule, like if we go to the East Coast to visit our family and it's three hours later and they're all confused about what time it is, I don't want them waking up at 4 a.m. and I give them melatonin. But we learned today from Dr. Wu that melatonin is a hormone dangerous to use, especially since dosages are not all the time accurate. And so really it is a conversation to be had with your pediatrician and your doctor. Oh, and can we talk about the fact that teenagers should ideally be starting school later? Wait a minute. (laughs) If that science was around when I was a teenager, I would have gone to Yale, Katie. But I was a complete waste of space for the first two, maybe three hours of high school every day. You are a night owl, and that is okay. Honestly, from this podcast, it sounded like Dr. Wu was a little bit of a night owl herself, and she's a doctor. Yeah. that. Oh, Katie, when are you going to schedule your worry time? Okay, my worry time today is going to be between 2.30 and 3. Nice. I got a good 30 minutes worth. Train that mental kitty. (laughs) (laughs) Katie, I just wanted to say thank you to you for a great episode. 100%. You can also follow us. I'm KTQ Lowe's on Instagram and Adam is Shappy Shaps on Instagram. And also, we're going to be posting a ton about this podcast so you can also leave comments. And I want to say thank you to our audience for listening and for them to tune in next week when we talk about sleep and aging, which I feel like is very connected to this episode. And don't forget to follow or subscribe so you never miss an episode. And until next time, hope you're living your best while sleeping your best. Chasing Sleep is a production of Ruby Studios from iHeartMedia in partnership with Mattress Firm. Our executive producer is Molly Sosha. This show was written and produced by Sound That Brands. Dave Beeson, Jason Jackson, and Michelle Rice. Chasing Sleep is hosted by Katie Lowe's and Adam Shapiro. Thank you to our partners at Mattress Firm. Are you ready to learn about great sleep? I'm more than ready. Wow, you have a lot of energy today. It's because I've been sleeping so well. The sleep experts at Mattress Firm match us with the right mattress. And the perfect pillows. They knew everything about sleep and which mattress and bedding accessories would help with hot sleep and back pain. You sound like a changed person. I am. Plus, we have 120 nights to make sure we love it. And all we have to do was visit our local Mattress Firm store and their sleep experts help with the rest. 